Good morning. If you'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 15, and again, Bruce and Pam for doing music for us this morning. Josh and Ethan, who are with us for the week for Thanksgiving break. Good to have them with us today. I think most of you saw, but Robbie is also here this morning, his first time. And thank you. I, uh, I have to say I have a new appreciation for parents who uh, bring their kids because... <laughs> Dressed up and ready to go, and Carrie asked me to change him, and I had a bad feeling. And uh, he threw up on the shirt that I was wearing, so I had to change my shirt. And uh, but when the first song started, Robbie woke up and he looked around like, "What's going on?" But uh, it's a blessing to be able to train and raise a child to know the Lord. And so thankful for him. Exodus chapter 15, we're actually looking at three different sections, one in Exodus chapter 15, one in Exodus 16, one in Exodus 17. They're all relatively short excerpts, but I'm going to read that entire uh, section that we'll be looking at. So Exodus 15, beginning in verse 22, and we'll go right into 16, where it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Moving to the beginning of chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandments of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? 
But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for the Lober family this morning in their time of loss and tragedy. It says in your word that you are near to the brokenhearted, and we pray for them in this time of grief and shock and sadness. Lord, as a church, may we mourn with those who mourn, and we lift this family up to you. Lord, we pray for a comfort which only you can bring. We pray for peace that surpasses understanding. We pray for hope that only you can sustain. Lord, in the face of grief, we pray that people turn to you. In a world where there's so much hatred, we pray that your love would be abundant. In a world of darkness, Lord, we pray for your light to shine. And Lord, we also do pray this morning for Marcia and Sarah as they say goodbye to their mother this week. And we rejoice in the hope of the gospel and the confidence that she is in your presence today with so many friends and family members who have gone before, yet we still mourn the loss of life. Lord, for families who mourn today, we pray for them. And we pray using the words that the psalmist said when he wrote, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He will make wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Continuing in Exodus this morning, and this is actually the final message in Exodus this year. It was always the plan just to spend a couple of months looking at some of these key passages. Lord willing, I would like to pick this back up in the future. Next week... As the first Sunday of Advent, we'll be looking, Lord willing, at passages from the Gospel of Matthew, the birth story of Jesus. And then the plan, Lord willing, in January is to resume in the Gospel of John. But I've had a lot of fun in Exodus. And today we're looking at three scenes from Exodus. 
And really, this section is the beginning of the next major chapter of the Exodus saga, where a freed Israel is living in the wilderness in pursuit of the promised land. We've looked at the ten plagues. We've looked at the Passover. Last week, we saw the Israelites crossing the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14, where God had led Israel to the sea, which positioned Israel in a place to experience God's greatest miracle of the Old Testament. Between the Egyptian army pursuing and the waters of the sea, with nowhere else to turn, God parted the waters and allowed the Israelites to walk across. After they crossed over, when the Egyptians pursued, the waters were closed in on them. When we come to the beginning of our chapter today, it's just a short time after that. And after all that the Lord has done, after all of God's miracles and blessings on Israel, we see the Israelites almost immediately fall into grumbling and doubt. And with that, we'll jump into our passages this morning. And we'll see these three early scenes of what life was like in the wilderness for Israel, beginning in 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, think for a moment. What must Israel have been experiencing at that time? After seeing all the miracles that God had done. God leading them in the desert by a pillar of fire. His presence with his people. God parting the waters and bringing them across the sea. They have the promises of God. God has done everything that he said he would do. He's bringing them towards the land that he has promised. And here, as the text tells us, it's just three days later. And the Israelites are running low on water. Now certainly, it's important to find water in the desert. It's a very desolate place. Even today, the terrain of deserts is very unforgiving. So it's a little bit of stress. But they had just seen God work to rescue them. How do you think they'd respond? Emboldened in their faith? Confident trust in the Lord? Verse 23 says, When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, they named it Marah. Marah is the Hebrew word for bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So they come to one place where there's water, but it's not suitable for consumption. Now, if they had simply asked, what should we drink? That's not such an unreasonable question when you're in the desert. It's not like you can just stop off at a gas station and pick up some bottles of water. But the text tells us that they weren't simply asking a reasonable question. The text says that they were grumbling. They were whining and complaining. And grumbling will be a continual problem for the Israelites during their desert wanderings. And that's part of why this passage is so important. 
Because we've seen the mighty works of God in redeeming Israel. But now, in these passages, we see more and more of the day-to-day life and activity of the Israelites. And they're not walking in great faith or trust or love for God. Now, as a reminder from last week, we saw something similar from the Israelites in Exodus chapter 14. With the Egyptian army pursuing them just before they crossed the Red Sea. They questioned Moses as to why they'd been brought into the desert to die. Exodus 14, beginning in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Here in Exodus 15, they grumble when they don't have water. Now in verse 25 of our passage today, water comes. And he, referring to Moses, cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Crisis averted. At the end of the chapter, the Israelites will actually actually be led to a place called Elam, which was somewhat of an oasis. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So, freed from Egypt, the plagues God has done, crossing the Red Sea, now God miraculously provides water. So now, the Israelites should be good, right? Wrong. Chapter 16. It begins, and it says that it's the middle of the second month after they had left Egypt. Now, keep in mind that the Israelites had journeyed for several days before actually getting to the Red Sea. And they camped out there for another period of time after crossing the sea. So the events in chapter 16 are probably within a couple of days in the timeline of chapter 15. Now, beginning in 16.1, it says... They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Don't think of that as the, like sin in terms of wrongs. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And we see the people grumble again, verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Sometimes it's so easy to look back on the past and think that the grass was greener on the other side. No, we had plenty. Things were great in Egypt. They weren't. 
It's similar to what they said before they had crossed the Red Sea. Poor us. Things were better. Why did you bring us out here just so we could die here? That's what they accused Moses and Aaron of. Bringing them into the desert to kill the whole assembly of Israel. Moses addresses the Israelites. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that it may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So, between the Egyptians and the sea, of course it was reasonable to wonder how God was going to work. But they assumed the worst. When they couldn't find water, of course it was reasonable to want water. But they complained instead of trusting Here, they don't have food. Of course, it's reasonable to have a concern about not having food. But the issue is their faithless and whiny response where they fail to take into account everything that the Lord has done for them. And yet God acts again in providing them bread from heaven, manna. And this is something that the Lord would continue to do Throughout the Israelite wanderings, providing manna from heaven, day after day, month after month, year after year. Constantly showing his faithfulness and sustaining the people. So, freed from Egypt, the plagues God has done, crossing the sea, miraculously providing water, miraculously providing food. Now, they should be able to trust, right? Wrong. Because if you're not walking in faith, no matter how many times the Lord blesses you, it's never enough. And we come to chapter 17, and the Israelites have journeyed out a little bit more, and they again run out of water. What should they do? They should trust the Lord. They have already seen him provide water. What do they do? They grumble and complain. 17.1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. They've had this exact same situation. And I think that could happen to us as well. We get into a stressful situation where we've seen the Lord act in our lives before. But then it happens again, and we're so tempted to return right back to worrying and doubting. Maybe it's been a situation where you didn't feel like you had enough money, but by God's grace, you were able to make it. And then you later found the same type of uncertainty again. Maybe it was a health scare. Maybe it was a family issue. We face significant trials in these areas of life. Verses 2 and 3. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? It's apparently the Israelites go to. 
complaining. God acts in a mighty way. They face another test after the Lord has intervened. But when they face the next test, it's, why did you bring us out here to kill us all? Never practicing trust. Never looking to God's blessings. Always looking at things as if they're catastrophes. But the Lord will again be good to them. Verses 5 and 6. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people shall drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. The Israelites have this expanding list of wonders that God has worked to preserve them. Yet they always jump to the worst case scenario whenever there's tension. They had the promise of where God was leading them. But it's not enough. And this gets at the heart of grumbling. Kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor, I think gives a helpful thought on grumbling. He says, grumbling is when we forget about what God has done for us in the past, and we forget about what God has promised for the future. Grumbling comes from a lack of trust in God. Grumbling is when we feel like God hasn't given us enough. It's a sense that perhaps God isn't good. Grumbling is turning away from God. It's complaining to others about God. It's ignoring the goodness of God. And it's a problem because it is not rooted in the truth of the character of God. I've preached before on the subject of lament. And lament is important in the Bible. There's a whole book about it, Lamentations. We see it as probably the most common theme in the Psalms. We see it in the Prophets. We see it other places. We see it in the New Testament. The difference between lament and grumbling is that lament is looking at the sinful state of the world and grieving that done in the light of who God is. Grumbling is when we have a caricature of God and complain that we don't like who God is not and lose sight of who God is. With the stresses that we have in life, and there's no shortage of stresses, it can be easy to fall into this trap. Sometimes we have a need and God comes through. But we can be so quick to forget what God has done, how he's blessed us in our lives. Forgetting can lead to unbelief and faithlessness. I think that's why remembrance is so often stressed in the Bible. Remembering our God, remembering his mighty works, remembering his acts of grace, and remembering his gospel. Because if we aren't actively remembering God's goodness in our lives, it's easy to forget and to just focus on what's right in front of us than the God who's above us. Let us actively remember the blessings of the Lord in our lives. I'm sure all of us could spend hours listing blessings God has given us, answers to prayers, people we've had in our lives, the blessings that we have in Christ, and most importantly, the blessing of the promise of eternity with God through faith 
But that's part of why stories like this in Exodus I find so interesting. Because the Israelites, they're really not so different from us. They had similar types of struggles and challenges. They had struggles of faith. They could be short-sighted. We could be just as guilty. We forget about God's past blessings and forget about his future promises. And so we grumble. And the main idea of this passage this morning that I want to get across is that God is the Lord of our past, present, and future. God has worked in our past. He's working today. And we have promises for the future for what God is doing. Yet, we can forget. Some of us go through life, and it's just one crisis after another. One stressful event after another. You get past this one, it's like you have another even more stressful thing that happens right after it. This continuous cycle, over and over, and then you die. Some of us go through life that way. Some of us turn to sin when the going gets tough. I can think of my last two churches. In both of those churches, I saw a very unhealthy divorce where people who had been part of the church, it evaporated. And people returned to past areas of sin. For one, returning to past struggles with substance abuse and ended up dying of a drug overdose. For another person, also returning to some past patterns and ended up dying in an accident. And I bring that up because people can have a faith that evaporates where they walk away from God, they're not living for God, and they go back to their own devices. And how destructive and harmful that can be. Some people face difficulties and they turn on God. The life of faith didn't give them what they thought it would or what they thought it promised. So they get bitter. They look elsewhere for hope or purpose. Sometimes God doesn't answer a prayer that we want. And people feel disillusioned and angry. But for some, the times of difficulty can also be the times of greatest growth. Times to trust in the Lord. Times to walk in faith. Jesus told us not to worry in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about being anxious and says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the point with the illustration of the birds of the air is that they have enough, and God cares for you so much more than them. We're people created in his image. Now, where he says not to worry, I know that could be easier said than done. But when we are in a time when we're worried or anxious, to take that to the Lord. Not to just complain and turn from him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says to cast your anxieties upon the Lord. 
Again, it's hard sometimes not to worry. There can be uncertainty in life. But let us bring our worries to the Lord rather than turning to grumbling and doubt. As I've said before, if you're here today, you're a talking, walking, living, breathing testimony to the Lord's provision. That he's brought you to this point. He's brought you to today. And yet we worry so much. Picking up again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 31 and 32, Do not be anxious about anything, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And the point is that God provides. For the Israelites, he continued to provide. And he provides today. I think of stories I've heard from some of our older members who grew up during the Great Depression. For some, very poor. Yet God provided. But we live in a day and age today where there's never been more abundance, more resources. Yet we so often worry. Medical technology is more advanced today than any other time in human history. Yet we live stressed worried, anxious, fearful lives. It's like the more comfortable we get, the more stressed we get than anything that shakes that up. It's like the more blessed we become, the more fearful we are of losing it. The more we fear becoming uncomfortable, the more we fear challenges. But sometimes God allows us to be challenged. The tests and trials of life can either result in a person turning from God or they can be the crucible under which great faith is fired and refined. As the Apostle James said in James 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect they may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God is at work. Even when we're in the wilderness, even when we feel like we're in need, God is working. And he is the God of our past, present, and future. And so we must remember his blessings in our lives. We remember his blessings for his people throughout time. And we remember his faithfulness. And we look forward to the future hope that we have with Christ. Again, it can be easy to look at the Israelites and think, well, why were they so worried? God was leading to the, to the land that he had promised. But why are we so worried? God is leading us to a greater land, to a new heaven and a new earth. God has promised all of his children a wonderful and glorious future. And between now and then, he has not abandoned us in the desert. That God is the God of your life today. And we live for God today, knowing that he is faithful. He is good, and he knows our needs. To live for him today. Let us walk by faith. Let us trust in the Lord. Israel kept seeing the Lord answer. But at the next sign of friction, return to grumbling. It's easy to forget. 
For some of us, when the blessing gets answered, we might celebrate that for a moment. We might praise God for a moment. But it can be so easy just to move to the next thing to stress about. And we can go through so much of our lives grumbling, complaining to God, feeling like we don't have enough. For the Israelites, they've seen God act in mighty ways. But then they go back to worrying. The Israelites faced difficult situations and chose to grumble instead of trust. And again, part of the root of grumbling is a heart that has lost sight of the sovereignty of God. I mentioned earlier that it was God who had led the Israelites to their circumstances between the Egyptians and the sea. That's why they were there. Because that was where God had led them. It was not an accident. It was God leading the Israelites in the desert. It was God who had led the Israelites to Marah with its bitter waters. It's so easy to lose sight of the divine hand of God at work in our lives. Israel did. In our passage, they don't actually grumble directly against God. They grumble to Moses and Aaron as if it was their fault. But nothing happens outside the sovereign will of God. And while they might have directed their complaints to Moses and Aaron, it's clear that their real displeasure was with God. But God is the God of all circumstances. And as I've said, God is the God of today. I think we sometimes look at the Old Testament we see things that God did, miracles that he worked, and we think, yeah, it'd be so much easier to believe if I'd lived back then. But when we read the stories of the people who saw these things and experienced these miracles, we see their struggles. Seeing incredible signs of what the Lord was doing. But it's not constant wonderment and awe. Because we live in a real world that's imperfect. And when we don't know what's going to happen, when we don't see the clearest path, when we don't see how we're going to get to the destination, it can be easy to doubt. But let me challenge you today that instead of doubting or being a catastrophist, instead, look to God and see how he's working. God provides for us in so many ways that we so often don't even remember him. Do you have a situation in your life right now that's causing you stress, that's robbing you of joy, that's distracting you from the goodness of God and where you're tempted to grumble? Let me challenge you. In that situation, to consider that the same God who has blessed your life, the same Lord who has come into the world to reconcile sinful people to him, the same God who has made eternal and glorious promises in Christ, is also God today. He knows what we need. He knows what we're going through. He knows our struggles. In our passage, we see three stories. In each of the stories, we see this pattern 
where the Israelites jumped to grumbling, complaining that the Lord hasn't given them what they needed, feeling like they lack something. And then we see the Lord bless them and give them what they need to sustain them. But they never learn. And they will continue to grumble in their desert wanderings. But we're not so different from the Israelites. We can be just as fickle. We can forget what the Lord has done and grumble and complain. We can question God when the going gets tough. At the slightest rock of the boat, we can fall into doubt and spiritual depression. But our God is a faithful God. We have opportunities when we're skidding out of control to steer into the skid. When the going gets tough, the Lord is at work. He's working in our situations. And the struggles that we face, the times that we feel like we're in the wilderness, the times where we don't feel like we have enough, are also the times where God is working most. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, we thank you for these stories because they point us to your work throughout history, your faithfulness, Lord, and they teach us about ourselves. Lord, as we come to this week of Thanksgiving, Lord, I thank you for the blessings that we have. Lord, may we approach this week with a thankful heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.